look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Welcome to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Masson, our third partner on the team. Uh, Faisal away today. Thanks for joining me, buddy. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, let's... um you know, I think we've got we've got an interesting show from a number of respects today. It's been a wild week. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but there was also an interesting story this week about um, a gal that an, an older gal that changed her personal directive uh, to reflect the fact that she didn't want to go into a long term care facility, mm-hmm. you know, given all of the headlines that we've had about that. Um, and so we want to talk a little bit about what are the implications of that decision. If you want to age in home, what could it cost? Yeah. Right. What 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 are you capable of receiving? At what point does it not make sense to do that? So that'll be part of today's show. Uh, we're also going to talk about what the heck is next for Canada's economy. So um, lots of questions, um, certainly given some of the volatility we've given that we've seen this week. So yeah. let's get a look into the future from uh, a regular recurring guest of ours, a terrific com- uh, economist, and help us understand a little bit about that. But let's talk uh, first about <clears throat> this week because we had. Um, we had volatility return to the market. So Thursday was a, a, a well, very sharp sell-off. Yeah. yeah, no, Wednesday started the trend, yeah. right? So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about why that was. So we, we had the U.S. Fed uh, uh, concluded their two-day meeting on Wednesday. And part of it, the meeting was a, uh, a conference and some commentary. And it was the first time since the pandemic broke that they provided an economic forecast for the U.S. economy because their March uh, uh, scheduled meeting was canceled because of the pandemic. And I'm not going to go through all the details of it, but the essence was this, was we're going to keep stimulus high, i.e. low interest rates, until at least the end of 2022. Which has a huge effect on so many different things. Well, for sure. I mean, that statement alone mm-hmm. is generally, uh, the stimulus is there, the Fed wants things to, that's generally positive for risk assets, things like stocks. But on the other hand, the forecast included um, some problematic elements. A contraction in the economy this year that's in the order of 9% yep. in the U.S. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's too high. Uh, the unemployment rate north of 9% at mm. the end of the year, the contraction uh, closer to 5.5% in the economy. And a message generally that said it's going to take a little bit longer. It's going to take a, a while for this, if you looked at those unemployment yeah. numbers, to come down. Well, I think that there's a really big difference, Dave, in what we see in the markets versus what people are feeling. And I call it the Main Street to Wall Street difference. Oh, yeah. yep. Because at Main Street, everybody's got mom and pop shops, and yep. they might have a restaurant. And a lot of our employment, whether it be in Canada or the United States, is really based on a service style industry. So yep. these people, these places need to be open, and they need to be servicing people in order to get paid. So on one side, Wall Street, the big companies are doing their thing, and they're, they're able to, to continue marching down. But it's very difficult for those smaller players in which to do it. And, of course, bring back people, whether it be for you know, unemployment reasons or, or different 
schedules for payment, um, they may not want to come back. Right. And so, of course, that creates another problem as they try to restart the economy in the yep. United States or, or elsewhere. Anywhere, yeah. Uh, I mean, yesterday we had the second phase, the reopening of Alberta. Um, and we're going we're gonna to test that a little bit. I want to just talk a little bit about the, tr- the, the, the pricing activity, the trading activity. And I think it's important that uh, investors understand, and we've been talking about this, volatility is mm-hmm. not gone. We've had a good run. Volatility is still there. We saw it spike again this week. The VIX, the fear index, as we call it, on Thursday, uh, you know, shot up by 33%. So you get a sense of the emotion. But you got to remember that, that markets are trying to price the where the economy is going to be 6 or 12 months from now. Yeah, or It's future view. That's always, right, always, or or if it's a company specific pricing, right? They're trying the market participants in general are trying to price what the income stream, the revenue profit stream from that company is going to be six or twelve months into the future, sometime into the future. That's right. Okay, so what happens generally speaking, and and this will continue to happen because of the uncertainty, is you get news flow or a narrative through certain periods of time, and that narrative will tilt towards the positive, or it will tilt towards the negative. And that will create sediment, right? Yeah. Whichever the, that sentiment could be positive at, on any given week or day, or negative on any given week or day, mm-hmm. and then the trading activity will will happen around that. What was interesting is on Friday morning when the markets opened sharply positive, right? I was talking, uh, was doing our market reports, and you know I got asked a question. Well, what's the news that's driving markets higher today? And there was no news. Like nothing had changed in the overnight that no. changed the narrative materially, but. What happened was that there were investors early on that saw opportunistic buying opportunities of certain companies they liked. So with that big sell-off, right? if you were watching a company that you wanted to take a position in and it got caught up in that Mm -hmm. and you felt that represented a good opportunity, then what you saw Friday morning in that early early pop was some opportunistic buying. That was an opportunity to step back into the market, (laughs) dip your toe in at a lower price point, which we've talked about many times before, not only on this show, but just in general. Hey, you get an opportunity where you get a pullback in the economy or in the markets themselves, whether it be 5 or 10%, it may be an opportunity to dip your toe in or put a little bit of money to work. Yeah. So it's it's really difficult. Again, uh, maybe we're uh, uh, being a bit repetitive in, in this and certainly have talked about it in the past, but you've got to be very careful about the daily pricing activity, right? You've got to have a thesis that's longer term. What are you investing in? What is your call six to 12 months into the future, mm-hmm. right? Now, but data does change that on occasion. I'm not saying it doesn't. Well, there's a difference, though. So we're talking two very distinct right. differences. Let me, let me point that out. Which is One is the market has speculators. Those are people that are oh, jumping correct. into the market yeah. quickly because yeah. they think they're going to be able to run something and then get out of it. Yeah. And then the market has investors. And now the difference between the two, speculators are in and out very quickly. They want to try and make a quick buck and leave. Investors are those who think forward mar- uh, forward-looking like the market does and says, I'm going to invest with the expectation that I'm going to earn money in the future, mm-hmm. whether that be 12 24, 36, or longer months out. Yep. So until we sort of get that, we're going to have some, some volatility that creeps up just because speculators are coming in, they see low price points, they're going, to, they're going to dive on opportunity. The question is, really, what kind of assets are you looking for? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's very true. And, and then, of course, it's a tug of war between the bulls and the bears, right? Absolutely. So, um, you, you know, the trend for whatever period of time could be down, could be up. 
Um, if there's more sellers than buyers, then it's going down and vice versa, it's going higher. Uh, but the narrative, the macro narrative, I guess, of what I wanted to say hadn't changed between those days, right? We, we still had a Fed that said we're, we're in the market. We're providing, um, extraordinary stimulus. Yes. We have governments from a fiscal perspective saying we will print as much money, particularly the United States, as necessary to keep this economy afloat. Mm-hmm. Right? None of that's changed. That's the big picture. Right? But the day-to-day pricing action can be very, very, very different. And nobody should expect a straight-up market. Don't, don't, don't do that. No. Nope. Ups and downs are part of it. Right? And then we've got to, over, you know, over some reasonable period of time, measure what we're getting in terms of return. But the daily price action can be scary and drive all kinds of weird emotional responses that sometimes right. leads to bad decisions, right? Bad short-term decisions. Um, okay, was there anything that else that sort of caught your attention? I mean, that was the big macro story. Um, you know, I could talk about that endlessly, but we'll put everybody to sleep doing that. The uh, let me let me go down one other path because sure. on on Thursday I was very interested. Um, at the same time as this sort of negative wave took over. We are getting, and on Thursday, we got some positive news about um, potential vaccine developments. Now, there's over 100 yeah. in place right now, right? Um, now, I don't know when it's going to come out, when people are going to announce things, whether it's going to be a vaccine or it's going to be a treatment. Quite frankly, both of those would be wonderful, mm-hmm. right? And it would allow the, uh, economies to open up more freely, right? So um, that news completely got washed out. But when we hear that, when we hear what, you know, if somebody or some company can figure out a solution to that, boy, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be interesting, both from a human perspective and obviously from a well, economy, the, uh, the economy. And the only thing I can say to that is like what I've seen this week is mm-hmm. that there seems to be a fear of when that second wave is going to hit and what that's going to look like. And, and when I look at the United States, not necessarily in Canada, but I look at the United States, I go, yep. have we really completed that first wave? Um, because it seems to me that things are continuing to push down, but they're trying to reopen that economy sooner than perhaps maybe they should. Right. But that's that's not and that was part of there. the Thursday yeah. pricing action, exactly. right? Some, a second wave in certain cities. Okay, mm-hmm. um, we've got to leave it there. Let's talk a little bit about our upcoming um, webinar that we've got. It's coming up next Tuesday, and we're going to be talking about how to try to make sense of all this. And as I said earlier, how do you come up with a long-term plan? If you're going to be retired for 20 or 30 years, I'm not suggesting that the next six months are unimportant. But we got to be able to get through this pandemic and whatever crises are going to come in the future and make sure that lifestyles are protected. That's true, Dave. And uh, we're going to be having that seminar on Tuesday, June 16th, 7 p.m. It's a live online webinar, so just go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register, and we'll be able to get you on that, uh, on that webinar. If you're afraid to go into a long-term care facility, given what we've just been through, what is it going to take cost process to stay at home to age in place? We're going to talk about that next. Stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with uh, Dave and Andrew on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Andrew, there was a story that uh, broke on the news this week, the details of which are not important, but the direction is important. And it was about an, uh, an older woman who had changed her personal directive, indicating that she no longer wanted to go into a long-term care facility. And, of course, it had to do with some of the problems that we've heard about through this current pandemic, wanted to age in place. And so she changed her legal documentation to try to stress that. And I I, I don't think she's probably alone. I mean, that's one story, but it caught my attention. And I thought, you know, that is probably something lots of people are thinking about. And uh, we want to explore this this notion of, again, of aging in place. And we've got a, a recurring guest that we've had on before, Travis Tinning. Travis is with Nurse Next, uh, Nurse Next Door Home Care Services here in Calgary. Uh, Travis, I want to welcome you to, back to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks. Great for, great, for, uh, great to be back. 
Yeah, so it's, you know, this has got to be a topic of conversation in many families across the country, certainly in our city right now, um, you know, about how safe people feel going into a long, long-term care facility. But if they need help, uh, then, you know, you're, and you're aging in place, then there are services that you're going to require or help that you're going to require uh, in order to do that. And so I thought it was a, uh, a timely conversation mm-hmm. to reignite again. Um, so with people thinking about this or likely having this conversation, I'd like you just maybe at a high level to start with a bit of a, a, a summary of what Nurse Next Door does, like what services you have. And I want you to highlight certainly a little bit about what you're doing with respect to COVID because there's some special services that you're offering to help people through this period. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I think it's important. I mean, the the news story that you referenced, I, I, I saw it as well. And there's mm-hmm. been there's been several um, you know several articles, whether through social media channels or the news outlets yeah. that are that are highlighting that. And funny, even within my own family, my my own dad after after uh, building this business for 13 years, my my own father called me the other day and says, I finally get what you guys do. <laughs> and, and, and he and he said that he's not you know not willing and i i think in fact that that he may be changing his own personal directives so um simply put what we offer uh with nurse next door is we provide services that seniors need to age comfortably in their home so and provide the care that they require to to age in their own home and what's um, even as, I mean, I, I understand that, that this has only been going on a, a few months now or three months since the, 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 the pandemic started, but we're already seeing the shift of, as you guys already know, the, the healthcare system sort of directs people towards these, these, these facilities or these, these nursing facilities. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and we're seeing seniors sort of, you know, take a step back and go, whoa, what are, you know, what are the other options here? And, and, you know, traditionally people would, you know, sell their houses and, and use that money to fund their, you know, the, you know, the, the rest of their years in, within retirement facilities. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing um, a lot of people starting to talk about leveraging that same asset, their house, to, to stay in their own home. And, you know, with whether it's home equity loans or, or what would traditionally be called reverse mortgages. Um, but back to your question, yeah, we we provide what whatever the senior needs from a care perspective or companionship perspective um, to stay in their own home. So let, let's talk a little bit about that again uh, directionally. Um, and I know I, I get that every family's different, so I'm going to put you on the mm-hmm. spot a little bit here. And I understand that it would be specific to a family's needs. But mm-hmm. is there a point in space? Uh, is there is there a time at which it becomes unsafe or there's a set of decision criteria that that will drive somebody out of their home and into a long-term care facility yeah i I think you nailed it with with every every family situation is different whether it's you know um you know their financial footing um you know or the 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 access to even family members in in the same city that, that that the senior is in um but for you know, why don't why don't we just take this opportunity, Dave, maybe to just talk about the the, the pricing differences and what what our services sure. cost and sure. maybe what the what the facilities cost and and put it into perspective a little bit. Simply, our our services are around thirty five dollars an hour, right. and you know what 
um, what, traditionally what families find is, okay, mom or dad are having a hard time you know, managing the house or, or we're worried about mom and dad going up and down the stairs to do the laundry. Or, um, and so when those, as soon as those conversations start within the family unit, um, you're, you're finding that, okay, maybe it's time for mom and dad to move into a facility, which mm-hmm. is, which truly isn't the, the, the right time. It's, it, you know, in, in those situations, and we like to pre- pre- preach that, that preventative measure if, you know, if at $35 an hour, you know, at, you know, three, three hour visits a week, you're talking, you know, $315 a week mm-hmm. or, you know, or, or $1,260 a month where mm-hmm. the, you know, and that's going to keep mom and dad in their home for much, much longer. Whereas, you know, the, the average care home, and, and, and well, in certain situations, our private care home is, is around $6,000 a month right. with, you know, and, and, you know, mom and dad still get to eat their own food. They still get to control their own schedules. Um, you know, they, they, when, when they go to, when they go to bed, um, you know, who they can see. And, and that's been the challenges through the, the pandemic is um, the isolation and, and who, you know, who mom and dad can and cannot see through this. Yeah you know, through this pandemic. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it, it certainly uh, gets there. I've got a few more questions, but Andrew, yeah. I think you've got a question there. Well, I think I, one of my questions really comes down to is, you know, when would be an, an opportune time to have somebody like nurses next door or somebody coming into the home where it would be much more valuable? Because obviously if you have, if it's just to, to do some, some very simple chores, maybe perhaps you can hire somebody for that to do that. But more importantly, um, what would that be in respect to, Taking medication, right? So, well, medication. Yeah. How many hours a day do you have to go Bathing in? Bathing stuff. Yeah. The the activities of daily living yeah, is yeah. what I'm going with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and and even for generally speaking, a lot of the activities of daily living happen within the the, the morning and evening routines, and yeah. and so I mean, even in those situations, you know, we can be the the, the staff and nurse next door can be in. Um, you know, in the mornings or in the evenings. And it's, it's not necessarily, and, you know, mom and dad don't necessarily want someone there all day with yeah, them yeah. In, in those situations, but they, they recognize that they do need help with, with showering, um, you know, showering or bathing. Um, they do need help with their bathroom routine. Um, you know, they need, they, they, they need help from a nutrition perspective and those medication reminders, uh, as you, as you mentioned, Andrew. So, so even when we look at it from that perspective, um, there's always this this line of people think that okay, mom and dad need to move to a facility. That means that they need um, they need full time care, and it's just not the case. We can, um, you know, the the option of home care can be very economical when you look at a care plan yep. that actually fits mom and dad's needs. Is there any level of medical care that that you couldn't receive at home that you would need a, a facility for? That is. You know that's that's a good question, and that really depends on you know on, on people's um, you know the, again their their financial footing and their supports. Gotcha. Um, generally speaking, most of the most of the care that can occur in a in a facility um, can can occur at home. It, where where the you know where the I think what you're maybe where you're going with that is a. The, the care that you know that can't occur like you know like intravenous um, you know yep. like yep. like some of the, some of the hospital like care and in those situations the senior would be going to the hospital anyway right so so on some of that some of that emergency care um, but but for the most part uh, the the care that can happen in a facility can happen at home right from um, you know 24-hour coverage yeah okay 
with with a care plan do you does nurses next door or you know do they assist in developing a care plan for each individual family how does that work um, yeah what, what comes along with that Travis great question so so generally speaking we'll we will visit the family in their home for for a complimentary consultation where you know we review not only the medical needs of the of the client but also just even some of the social needs uh, of that client and and we we build out the care plan that fits uh for for that client uh both again medically and socially um from a budget perspective and from a time perspective and and what is needed and these these are conducted you know by you know by trained healthcare professionals yeah um and then yeah and then from there it's determined how many hours a day how many days a week what the actual duties are going to be and and we really we really pride ourselves on our on our perfect match guarantee where you know again we're we're inviting a stranger into our home and it's and it's imperative that that mom or dad and uh, and the caregiver, you know, get along and form and, and form a bond. So, yeah. you know, again, we have that perfect match guarantee where we use this information to to pair uh, mom and dad with, or mom or dad with the the perfect caregiver. That sounds terrific, Travis. I know we can't do full justice in ten minutes, but I think this is uh, this is a conversation that's going to continue in a lot of families. If anybody needed to get a hold of you, wants to explore this, how do they do that? Yeah, and they can go to nursenextdoor.com or or Google Nurse Next Door Calgary. Um, or call us at 403-454-1399. And I think it's important to touch on um, maybe maybe calling the office. We are running a program till the end of July that where seniors can experience some of our services for free to help them get through the, the, the COVID period here and, you know, some of our basic services like air and running, grocery pickups, you know, garden planting or weeding, things, things that are, are falling short uh, as seniors can't get out. Well, thank you again, Travis, for taking the time out and uh, keeping us abreast of what's happening in that space. I really appreciate it, guys. Been joined by Travis Tinning. He's Nurse Next Door Home Care Services, Calgary, uh, recurring guest on our show. We've got to talk about health care as one of the four buckets that we talk about, right? Yep. The, in terms of the quality of life, the lifestyle that people want, we're talking about all of that stuff at our upcoming webinar. We are, and that's uh, this Tuesday coming, June 16th, uh, 7 p.m. It's a, a live online webinar. Please join us. Um, go to mon- morethanmoneyradio.com to register, and... Um, We'll, we'll gladly see you there. That sounds good. Stick around after the break if you're concerned whether or not the Canadian economy can withstand all the debt that we're incurring. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew. Um, we were joined this afternoon by Benjamin Tall, who is the Deputy Chief Economist of CIBC World Markets. And Andrew, we get a lot of questions about, um, you know, what, where are we in the economy right now with all the debt that we're incurring, you know, through this, uh, this sh- uh, the Shut down of the economy. Can we can we withstand this? What's it going to look like on the other side? Well, and the big fear of tax, big fear you know, of tax. Like, yeah. like how how are we going to pay for this? Right. Um, as as a population, and what's that going to look like? And, right. You know, there's a lot of fear on those pieces, Dave. Yeah, Benny, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking some time with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So maybe we'll just start high level. I'd love to get your opinion of of where where are we right now? What's Canada's economy look like today? Yes, well, in the second quarter, namely the current quarter, the economy is shrinking by about 30 to 40 percent. 30 to 40 percent. It's 
something that we have never seen in our lifetime. Yeah? Now, uh, the next quarter, uh, the third quarter, will be maybe positive 20. So we're talking about huge swings here. When you shut down an economy and then you start opening up, you get very big numbers. Overall, I think that the summer will be fine. I think that you will see some good numbers. We already got some good numbers from the labor market that will continue. And we all know, you know, the, the sky is blue and the bells are singing and we will be cheating on social distancing. We all know that there will be a second wave and that probably will be a fourth quarter story in line uh, together with uh, the flu season. That's where I see some nervousness in the market. But for now, although there are some pockets of a second wave happening, the overall economy is opening up. So I expect a nice swing uh, back uh, to life. And that will be actually a relatively good summer. But beyond that, I see some confusion, especially when you get a second wave with the flu season and the cold season that will confuse everybody. Yeah, that's a good point. The second wave is highly likely. Let's talk a little bit about as we move through the next six to 12 months, um, the, the governments of the world and the central banks of the world, and no different here in Canada, have provided a tremendous amount of stimulus, um, whether it's done or not, I'll, we'll get your opinion on that, but a tremendous amount of stimulus to try to protect uh, workers and the, the overall economy from this artificial shutdown caused by our health concerns. I'd love to get your your take on whether or not the stimulus has worked. Um, are we done with the stimulus or is there more to come? What does that look like? Okay, so let's start with monetary policy. Absolutely, it worked because if you look at spread, namely how much it costs banks to borrow, it actually went down, which means that you can provide some liquidity into the system. What the central bank is doing, the Fed, the Bank of Canada, everybody else, is not to revive the economy. They cannot do that. What they're trying to do is to make sure that there is enough liquidity into the system. And at the end of the day, what they are doing now, they're basically injecting money into the system and buying all those bonds that governments are issuing. So there are two issues here very, very quickly. One is the credibility of the central bank, the credibility of the Bank of Canada or the Fed, and the other is inflation. Let's talk about credibility for a second. Let's face it. The Bank of Canada, it is not a central bank anymore. It is a government agency. It is a crown corporation. It is working for the government. The central bank is supposed to be independent. It is not independent at this point. We all know that. The same goes for the Fed. This is not a criticism. We have no choice. But uh, they will have to labor very hard over the next five, ten years to regain that credibility. Right. Number two is inflation. We are basically printing money nonstop. Five billion dollars uh, a week, the Bank of Canada buying government bonds. Now, uh, that, uh, according to Economics 101, is hyperinflationary, but it is not really in the sense that we are really not adding money into the system. We are replacing lost income. And there is no velocity of money, namely the rate at which uh, money is exchanging hands is not very high. Therefore, you cannot see inflation, even though the money supply is rising. So I'm not losing sleep over inflation at this point. If they continue to do so a year from now, then maybe that will be the case. Going to the government, we are what about? $250 billion of budget deficit now. This is just a down payment. It's not over by any stretch of the imagination because we still need to see transfer of healthcare money to the provinces. More money will go to small business rent assistance. We will see the extension of many of those programs, especially the CERB and the wage subsidy. They will be expanded. That's more money. So the budget deficit will grow over time. 
And the question is, of course, who is going to pay for all this? And the short answer, of course, is nobody. It will be recycled. We all know that the government of Canada entered this crisis with a very good fiscal position, much better than any other OECD country. Clearly, the debt-to-GDP ratio is rising, but clearly, if you look at the overall situation, interest payments are going to be so insignificant in terms of overall spending because of extremely low interest rates. So we calculated that the budget deficit can go to $400 billion before we see a significant increase in debt financing costs, which means that the government can continue to borrow without seeing a huge increase in spending due to um, you know, financing this debt because of uh, they can refinance at extremely low interest rates. So it's manageable. Is it good? No. Is it optimal? No. But it's not a disaster in this sense. A lot of questions we get about the long-term effect of that. So fair enough, we've got low interest rates now. If interest rates ever move higher in the future, you know, how, it, it, what problems does that create? And it, does it ultimately lead to higher taxes? How does it affect you and I as an average Canadian? That's a very good question. So what the government treasurers are doing now is they're basically taking advantage of extremely low uh, interest rates. They monitor it very, very quickly. The minute you see a sign that interest rates will be rising, they will be locking their debt into 20, 30 years, making sure that they are immune to this increase the way you take a 5 or 10-year mortgage uh, as opposed to a variable rate mortgage. So they will do the same to minimize uh, the impact of higher interest rates. But clearly, as a society, we are much more sensitive to the risk of higher interest rates and maybe the disease is also the cure. Maybe the increased sensitivity to higher rates will prevent interest rates from rising to the sky. But clearly, we are seeing a situation in which banks and governments will make sure that they are locked into those extremely low interest rates. As for um, tax increases, uh, you know what? I don't see it happening, at least in the near future, because uh, there is no need to. Again, with interest rates so low, refinancing the debt will be very cheap. There, is no, there isn't going to be a need to raise taxes anytime soon. I suspect that we will see some increase, maybe, in the capital gain tax, because that's an easy target, and that's something that the Liberal Party back then was talking about before the crisis. So there is no reason to believe they will not do it down the road. So that's uh, the number one uh, on the list when it comes to uh, tax uh, hikes. Anything is happening because, quite frankly, at this point of the game, there will not be a need to do so, at least in the short term. That's the way I see the situation. Okay. Um, let's talk about Canadian dollar for uh, a minute. Certainly against the U.S. dollar, we've seen it strengthen yeah. quite significantly. Uh, maybe you can speak to a little bit about where, where you see the dollar going, uh, going forward. Yes, you tell me where the stock market goes, and I'll tell you where the dollar goes. Because <laughs> it's, basically, it's basically the same. Uh, they are dancing to the same tune, basically. Uh, when the market is depressed about the virus, as we saw yesterday, or, you know, when the um, stock market went down, uh, we have a situation in which uh, the, the dollar lost ground and vice versa. So it's really a function of optimism regarding the global growth and uh, some progress regarding the virus. So I suggest that uh, you will see 
and uh, what I call a zigzag economy, an off-and-on economy over the next year. You will see a period like the next few months that the activity will be relatively strong, and the Canadian dollar is already pricing this in. Then you will have the winter, everybody will be confused, and you will see a situation in which uh, the market will go down or stabilize, and the dollar will go down as well. So it will be a very volatile period for the Canadian dollar over the next year. And if I have to guess, I think it would be more or less between um, 72, 73 cents and 75 cents, something like that, but a lot of volatility in between. Yeah. Benny, thank you very much. Uh, We can't do justice to the entire economy in 10 minutes, but I think you've done a pretty good job of helping us understand a little bit about uh, where we are today and how we're going to handle some of that debt going forward. Thank you very much. A pleasure. Good luck. We've been joined by Benjamin Tall. He's a deputy chief economist at CIBC World Markets. We've got to put all of that, um, you know, into some form of a strategy, right? I mean, that's sometimes all that technical speak. just yep. has to be put into a strategy for people that allows them the freedom to go enjoy their lifestyle, right? Well, and lifestyle does matter. So why don't you join us for our seminar coming up Tuesday, June 16th, 7 p.m. Um, it's a live online webinar. Just to register, just go to morethanmoneyradio.com, and uh, we can get you set up and look forward to seeing you on Tuesday. Stick around after the break. Andrew and I are going to help you figure out how to choose the right advisor for you. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, Andrew, you are a third partner on our team, and you are responsible for operations and financial planning on our team. Um, Yeah, that's a big hat. It's a big hat. And uh, I want to talk about financial planning for a minute because uh, I had a conversation with Faisal this week, and he had had a conversation uh, with a family that I found interesting. Um, and they were they were trying to find the right advisor for them. Okay. Okay. And so they're interviewing uh, several teams, and they had spoken with Faisal as as one of this uh, one of the people. And uh, a different institution, um, as part of their process up front, had given them. Just a, a financial plan. Yep. And they asked Faisal, can you do a financial plan for me up front? And I'm shortening the conversation, but Faisal said, well, to, to what end? What, like, what are you trying to accomplish with that? Absolutely. Okay. And uh, the answer was, I just want to know if we're okay. Fair, fair question to want answered. Okay. But he said, well, okay, to do that, though, there's a whole bunch of things we've got to understand. Okay, so here, here's here's what I'm going to throw at you. I'm trying to just give some okay. background, right? Uh, and I have some very strong opinions on this. But the our industry in general, okay, has um, put forward this idea of a financial plan as a static document. Okay? Yeah, mm-hmm. here it is. You're okay. But I would contend that that is not a static document that a financial calculation, okay, to know if today with what you have and your spending you can do it can be answered very quickly. But that's way too simplistic. It is. I would challenge that um, to say that a financial plan, theoretically, is nothing more but a snapshot in time. It provides a few items that are really important. One, in this particular case, can I do it? Can I can I retire with the lifestyle I wish to retire? Right. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is going to provide can, is... Can I stop you there? Sure. Because that's super interesting. Because that's essentially what this person was asking. Mm-hmm. 
But a financial plan isn't just a financial calculation. It's part of a retirement plan. And so mm, that's where I was going. Yeah. To get to get to the quality of the information that that client really was asking about. Okay. Is that something you sit down in 15 minutes and whip up and say, yeah, you're okay? No, it, you can't. And because everybody's need for a financial plan or their need for what they're trying to achieve is different. And one of the key metrics that I look at, or what my team looks at is, when we start off is, give me your top three goals. What are you trying to achieve? Because everybody is different. So for example, right now I'm hearing a lot about, the Trudeau government's gonna give me a lot of tax because there's been debt, and we're, we're, we're piling on debt, so they're terrified of it. I wanna make sure it doesn't mm -hmm. go, to the, go to the government. I wanna go to the next generation. I wanna move on. Um, I'm worried about achieving my lifestyle. That's the second goal. Okay, what's the lifestyle look like? And then finally, a lot of them are starting to talk to me about, well, what about healthcare? What's going to happen to me in the future if I, if I need to go into a home or a facility or something else? Those are goals. Those are things we have to look at and sort of push forward to say what's important. Yeah. You and I are likely going to say the same thing here, but I'm going to say it in, in a different way. And this sure. is where I have a strong opinion on it. I don't think there's anything... Uh, there is no such thing as a financial plan. Now, having said that, we call a financial plan a financial plan. So here's what I'm trying to communicate is I think there is only a process. So as mm -hmm. an example, the work that you and your team do um, on, on Popwitch Carmeli is really interesting because if somebody is trying to solve for a specific problem, i.e., do I have enough, okay, the, that planning process is actually different than if we're stress testing a plan for um, uh, for an inheritance, for, for a legacy plan. Yep. Or if we're stress testing a plan under some adverse reaction, or if we're looking at the tax impact um, today in your lifetime or later. So the inputs that you use to calculate those things, to determine the, you know, the answer to whatever the goal is mm -hmm. or the question is, changes the inputs. So a financial, that's why I say a financial plan, in my opinion, doesn't exist. It's not a static document. It is part of a process no, it's, it's, that provides context. And that's why I say it's a snapshot in time. It provides a lot of feedback, right? but it's a living document because you have to go back and redo right. it. Not every year, but you do have to go back and do it usually around every three right? Um, because things have changed. Right. Your lifestyle has changed. Your thoughts around money have changed. Perhaps maybe you're considering something different, right? Whatever those things are, that's when you have to revisit it, right? And you know, one of the things that I also see a lot, David, and I just bring it up just because I find it interesting. Um, if you came to me and said, "I want to retire," can I do it? The answer is yes. No, of course. But but that's that's very simplistic. Why is why is it yes? Well, depending on the interest rate that's placed in that plan or, or, or uh, inflation yeah. rate or anything else, that's not going to give us the right input at all because we're not stressing it effectively. Um, we're trying to solve for a variable and the variable is I want to earn X dollars a month. So yeah, it changes well, it and yeah. that drives me batty. Well, I think you've said something very, very important and, and I don't think I communicated this clearly and that's why I'm going on processes. The, the inputs that you use in the financial planning process are relative to the answer you're trying to get. So for instance, if you were trying to stress test a plan to answer the question, can I retire with a certain amount of income based on the assets I have, you might use a different set of assumptions on your inflation rate and, and interest, uh, sorry, the uh, return rate. That's right. Then you would use, if you were trying to get an accurate assessment of what a tax liability might be in the future, okay, because your stress test 
could be overly conservative to get the answer for that client or to find that point in space to say, yes, you're okay, or no, you're not. Mm -hmm. But those inputs might be different to say, what is my realistic tax liability at the end of the day? And so this is why I found that conversation with Faisal um, in terms of the conversation he had with this person, very interesting. And so how does this relate to what we're talking about? I, I think that when, you're, when you are trying to find an advisory team and you're interviewing, um, I think people, we, we need to educate people about what it is they're trying to accomplish. Their needs when they get to retirement, we know, are much more complex because they're trying to solve for multiple questions at the time. Okay? Yep. Um, uh, and so it's not one financial plan that does that. It could be several financial plans. And when I say financial plans, I mean several steps in the process of trying to determine, based on the goals you have, That's right. what the answer is, right? And so, um, you know, Faisal and I talked about this. He's consistent, obviously, with what you and I say and think. <laughs> but but I, I think people need to understand that the, the document and how many financial plans have we seen? Well, yeah, I did a financial plan 10 years ago. Wait a second. Your financial plan 10 years ago likely has nothing to do with what today looks like for you. That's right. Right? And so it has to be updated regularly. Drives me back to process. You have to include the financial planning as part of your overall wealth management or lifestyle planning process. That's right. Is that fair? There's no way out of it. Um, without that process in place, without trying to drive that process in place, the document is just a way to bring you in the door. Well, it's just, it's just and, and it's it's just a thing. Right. Look, we did this. It's really about making sure it's done, making sure it's done on a regular basis, make sure the recommendations are in place. And they're relative. It, it brings context, and that's my point. So it's not a document. It's mm -hmm. a part of a process. That's, that's, that's my opinion. I said I had some strong yep. opinions. A financial plan is not a document. It's part of a process. It is. Right? Okay. Enough on that because uh, I'll just get myself all worked up here. <laughs> Uh, let's. We got. We got to bring this show to a close. And, I, and to do that, I just want to remind everybody that we've got an upcoming webinar in which we're going to be talking about that process, right? Yeah, and that's happening uh, just this week, Tuesday, June sixteenth, seven p.m. As Dave said, it is a live online webinar. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. And we look forward to having you with us. Well, thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to chatting with you again next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodcundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodcundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodcundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodcundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodcundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodcundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada.